Totally Football Show. Today, it's the magic of the group stage mini-league competition as the Champions League returns. Chelsea lose, Liverpool 2, Spurs do what it says on the tin, while Man City triumph and PSG murdering Zidane's back four. We take a glance around all the big midweek talking points and all the things to look forward to back home this weekend, like Leicester Spurs, West Ham Man United and Chelsea Liverpool. It's all coming up on this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, listener, I'm super excited about today because we've got Lindsay Hooper in from the Offside Rule. Hello. And she's joined by the Athletics' Michael Cox. Hi, James. And from the multimedia empire that is the totallyfootballshow.com, Nick Millar. Hello. Hi, Nick. Lovely to see you. You see him all the time. He's in the office. Always nice to see him, though. <laughs> it's, that, it's even more of a pleasure. <laughs> I breathe air all the time. But that doesn't make me need it any less in my life, True. Lindsay. I am your oxygen. Very much so. It's so nice as well to see uh, Nick, you and Michael sitting so amicably together after being pitted at, you know, at loggerheads against each other in mm. the TIFO football quiz that we mentioned at the end of Monday's show. You were on opposing teams. Who came out on top? Uh, well, Michael did. Uh, oh, yeah. Michael and the athletic team did. Oh, yeah, I did, actually. Yeah, good point. Yes, right. he hasn't mentioned it. Who was uh, on the athletic since... team? Well, only one colleague from the athletic. Right. And... Uh, and a friend of ours. Okay. So it actually wasn't particularly representative of the athletic. Did you get penalised because for every question you kept giving inordinately long answers? <laughs> <laughs> Little subscribers in joke there. That is very uh, but, but really good and informative ones. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so you won. What kind of questions, Nick, did you get asked? Well, it's funny you should ask, James. There were, there were several rounds, general knowledge brackets, easy rounds. Oh, let's try that. Give let's us a couple of questions from that. Okay. Um, when Zinedine Zidane famously said there was no point in putting another layer of gold paint on a Bentley but losing the engine, which player's sale by Real Madrid was he referring to? Gold paint on the Bentley when you've sold the engine? Mm. <laughs> what do you think? Do you, oh, did you get this one right, Michael? I mean, no, I got it within the first five words. No offence. Wow. Okay. Is that, that listener? I'm wondering He's dissing how the you. listeners All the listeners right know the answer to this. Literally listener? every listener knows the answer to Okay, go on then, Nick. It was Claude Makaleli. Was it? Yeah, it's when they, it was some of they, they signed Beckham but sold Makaleli. Right. And that's what Zidane said. Imagine if he'd had David Bentley. That would have been a brilliant analogy. <laughs> gold-plated David Bentley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not going to gold-plate my David Bentley. Sorry, do go on. Give us uh, another question. What else have we got? Which championship team's mascot is a boiler? Ooh. I mean, this is Nick's special subject, to be fair. <laughs> very much did you get this right? I did, yeah. I got this right very quickly. And what is it? Is it go on, Lindsay. I was going to say, but because you started, I know it's not. I was going to say, is it someone like Preston North End, somewhere that part of the world? No, uh, no, no, it's West Brom. There's so much of my special subject that I did quibble slightly because the, the boiler is not technically their official mascot. It's a tie-in with their shirt sponsor. Oh, well, that's not the same thing at all. What's their official mascot? Baggy Bird. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm from the black country. Mm. Right. So I know Baggy Bird. Okay. Yeah, Baggy Bird's been kind of sidelined, I think, by the ideal boiler man. Is right. it, the ideal boiler man is, extra, is a, a fairly extraordinary thing. Sorry, it is a boiler s- with arms and legs. Right, okay. Um, and did you say, just backing up a little bit, did you say this is your special subject? Well, I've written a book about mascots. That's why it's my special subject, which is out. Uh, is out that, is that Dance Like Everyone's Watching? It is, Is yes. that yours? That is, yes. Oh, brilliant, because that's getting rave reviews at the moment. Is it really? In Excellent. an entirely natural tie-in, listener, this was in no way planned. So Dance Like Everyone's Watching. Dance, is a, yeah, Dance Like Everybody's Watching. I, I said everyone's, and I got the name of my own book wrong, so that's it doesn't... 
bode especially well for the promotion. But yes, okay. available to pre-order now. It's out on October the 31st. What kind of thing would people find in there? Uh, always, uh, about the strangest mascots in the, wor- in the world. There's an interview with uh, Harry Hornet, for the Is wa- famous uh, Watford yeah, mascot. Yeah, you've got to have some of the scraps in there. Cause yeah. Over yep. the years, there's mascots have actually like tried to take mm. each other out, haven't they? Yes, yeah. there's, a, there's a section about mascots fighting. When mascots collide. When mascots attack, I think, is the title of the... the Brilliant. All right, well, that could be a Channel looking 5 show. That. Hey, yeah. maybe, yeah. maybe what we could do, Nick, do you think, is if we were to pose some questions at the end and the mm. first person to send in some right answers or something, it could, you know, you could win a prize of your book. Yes, absolutely. And the second person wins two or yeah, something that like kind of that. Thing. Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> what was the strangest... Uh, did you do with international mascots as well? Oh, it's all sports. So the strangest one is the, the, a, a, something called the Mysterious Fish, which is, I think, in <laughs> Japanese baseball. Oh, yeah. This is great stuff. The Mysterious <laughs> Yeah. And it's, uh, it's uh, somewhat... A, blo- <laughs> a bloke wearing a giant sort of neon fish head. And at some point during the game, he he's wearing like one of those kind of skeleton jumpsuit oh, yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he will jump out of the the fish's mouth and sort of start writhing around on the floor. So it's like oh, it's like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Match. yeah yeah yeah. There's like a, like a like a break in the game or I've something like that. I've seen footage of this. Yeah, and it, it, it's like um it's like the fish is vomiting up its own spine. Yeah. Uh. It's um it's not absolutely nightmare. There's two has... people in that suit basically. No no no, it's just one person. Well, how does he get out of the well, I tell you what, that's something that you reveal in your book. Yeah, no you doubt. You can imagine that, that you know play gets really dull, and they're like, "Right, do it now! Yeah. Jump out the suit! Yeah, <laughs> give them some entertainment!" Like throwing a cat, a dead cat on the table. All right. Well, the TFO quiz was not the only. I tell you, we'll have more quiz questions later, shall we? We'll do general knowledge hard towards oh, the end. Brilliant. Of the, Love uh, it. Podcast, Love it. Maybe. Uh, that wasn't the TFO quiz. That wasn't the only high-profile midweek football clash, though. No. Because of course there was also the return of the champions. Match day one of the Champions League. These were the headlines. Tuesday, 14 weeks on from their triumph in Madrid. Liverpool got beaten 2-0 in Naples. Meanwhile, the Europa League winners, Chelsea lost 1-0 at home to Valencia. Barcelona escaped Dortmund with a point despite a barrage from Borussia on a night when Messi made his return. Ajax won 3-0 v Lille. And Salzburg put six goals past Genk, three of them for Erling Haaland. Alf Inger's son, his fourth hat-trick of the season. Wednesday, meanwhile, PSG beat Real Madrid 3-0. Parisians without Cavani, Mbappe or Neymar. Real Madrid without a single shot on target. 3-0 wins elsewhere for City at Shakhtar and Bayern with Red Star, while both Juventus at Atletico and Spurs at Olympiacos enjoyed two goal leads, only to end up with 2-2 draws. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, it certainly was eventful and probably the biggest headline of all, goes to Paris Saint-Germain's 3-0 win over Real Madrid, a 3-0 victory without their famous front three for the first time in the Champions League in five and a half years that they hadn't been able to field Cavani or Mbappé or Neymar, but it didn't seem to worry them one bit. We're joined now by Tom Williams, who's just popped in to tell us about what's behind this sudden strength from Paris Saint-Germain and what they've made of it in France. Tom, hello. Hello. Uh, well, great excitement this morning uh, in the French papers about PSG's performance and uh, quite a bit of surprise as well because domestically PSG haven't made the best start to the season. They lost at Rennes. They needed that incredible stoppage time goal by Neymar at the weekend to beat Strasbourg. So they weren't firing on all cylinders and albeit against the Madrid team who were missing several key performers, notably Sergio Ramos and Marcelo and with Hazard short of 
fitness, etc. Um, but a really, really impressive performance. And I, I think for me that the key to it was the configuration of the PSG midfield, um, which has been a big issue for them the last few seasons. Um, you know, going back a few years, they had that beautiful midfield balance of Thiago Motta holding, Verratti doing his thing and, and Blaise Matuidi bombing up and down in a sort of inside left channel. Matuidi then left to go to Juventus, Motta retired and they just didn't really replace either of them. Um, and what we saw last night was that you had Marquinhos in the holding role, converted centre-back uh, and he's been playing in, the, in that position since last season after Thomas Tuchel decided that he could do a job there. Uh, and Idrissa Gay, who I think was probably man of the match. Okay, mm. Angel Di Maria gets the two goals and is on the front page of all the papers this morning in France. But Idrissa Gay, absolutely fantastic performance. Um, you know, pressing very aggressively, sets up Di Maria's second goal. And they've not really had a player like that, PSG, since they lost Matuidi. And I think when you when you add his industry to Marquinhos's uh, poise and composure in front of in front of the back four and Verratti's skill on the ball and his ability to to wriggle out of trouble and to pick passes, you've got a really solid, very well-balanced midfield unit. And that then gives the forward players the freedom to do their thing. Di Maria, absolutely fantastic last night. Um, Icardi, I thought, was very good, holding mm. the ball up back to goal. Pablo Sarabia was OK. Um, but yeah, you think you bring Neymar and Mbappe back into that team and there's potential for something really exciting there. Wow, you're daring to dream again. Tom, you mentioned the absences for Real Madrid. Hilariously, no Sergio Ramos or, or, or Nacho, but Sergio Ramos, who who was suspended because he'd been disciplined by UEFA for deliberately picking up a yellow card in the, uh, what was it, quarterfinals with Ajax? It was the second, it was the first leg of the quarterfinal against Ajax when Madrid were 2-1 up. And he thought, this is fine, I'll pick up my yellow card, serve my suspension in the second leg with predictably hilarious consequences. Yes, and then watched on helplessly from uh, an executive box at the Bernabeu as uh, as Ajax demolished Madrid in the return leg. And, and then, because he'd admitted to it, mm. then got a, a ban that carried over Did to he admit season. to it in his video series? No, it was in the mix zone. I've, right. I've seen the uh, the corresponding episode of his documentary series uh, and he was in the mix zone afterwards. And do you remember when David Beckham did it a few years ago and he yeah. said afterwards, people think I'm really stupid. I'm not that <laughs> stupid. I got a deliberate booking. It's like, well, the smart thing actually, David, would have been to have not then admitted to it. And Ramos basically does the same thing. But but didn't wasn't that also the instant where Beckham fractured his ribs by getting the booking? <laughs> I'm not, or was it? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So he kind a masterstroke. Of, yeah, it wasn't quite the perfect crime <laughs> <laughs> well anyway PSG toying with uh, the, the, their replacements at the back I and mean, that third goal when you had the, the two PSG fullbacks just basically passing the ball back and forth between the Real Madrid defenders and, and then putting it away the ballad of the fullbacks yeah Thomas Meunier who is not um, anywhere near number one right back in the PSG hierarchy but, but was playing last night because of injuries and, and Juan Bernat who was seen as a bit of a disappointing signing when he came in um, a year ago but who's been a really consistent performer for PSG uh, set up the first goal last night for Di Maria as well uh, and yet it seemed to be a bit of a symbol of Madrid's problems that you know they find themselves in stoppage time with the opposition fullback streaming through the middle of the pitch Rafa Varane the only man back who stands any chance of stopping them uh, and yeah a really convincing performance by PSG I mean people have made comparisons with um, the 3-0 win over Bayern Munich that they produced in the group phase a couple of seasons ago. Slightly different game on that occasion. You said that huge win over Barcelona. Well, exactly, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> this, well, this is the thing. This is the thing. It's not the first time they've done this in the Champions League. It's not the first time PSG have been good in the Champions League right. against good teams. And so that, as ever with PSG, is the asterisk. That is the caveat. Okay. I mean, great performance against a weakened team, but it's September. And finally, one, one quick thing. Real Madrid famously not getting any shots on target in this game. Eden Hazard making his debut. 
didn't seem to make much difference. How much pressure do you think Zidane's under right now? I think he's probably under a, a, a certain amount of pressure. Um, I mean, I, I think you look at Madrid's transfer window and you know, almost uniquely in their modern history, Zidane was able to pick and choose the players he wanted. And by and large, he got all of them, except for Paul Pogba, who was the one player he was, who he was holding out for, who Manchester United obviously wouldn't sell. Um, and I suppose his argument would be, well, look, you've allowed me to, to, to pick all these players. We now have them. Not all of them are fit. Those that are fit, Hazard isn't, isn't fully fit. So, uh, you know, I, I, I suspect he'll be, he'll be back for now at least. I mean, they've not been fantastic in La Liga so far but they're nor of Barcelona so it's not mm. like they've they're that far off the pace I don't think he's in any imminent danger and you look at the other teams in the group Galatasaray Club Brugge wouldn't have thought that they'll give Madrid any problems but yeah it is it is concerning that having spent all that money yeah having all those new players on show they looked so bad could we just have a quick word for Tugo Angel Di Maria who I think that will have meant a lot to him because he was fuming at the way he left Real Madrid in 2014 he got that injury midway through the World Cup could have supposedly could have played a little bit in the World Cup final, but Real basically, because they're about to sell him, basically banned him from playing because it would reduce his transfer value if he got injured. So the biggest moment of his career he had to miss out on because of Real wanting a bit more money for him. So he would have really enjoyed that. What I really enjoyed, I mean, quite apart from the two fantastic goals he scored, was that early on, Gareth Bale nutmegged him with a, with a pass that he played between his legs. And then later on in the first half, Di Maria got revenge with this really sort of flamboyant nutmeg that you sort of saw coming and the bail was powerless to stop. And I wonder whether he'd done that deliberately because of the initial nutmeg. And, and one last thing then, or another last thing even, uh, we'd, we'd mentioned a Gareth Bale, we should have a quick nod to what would have been a spectacular goal from him had he not handled it in the build-up. Yes, and there was a bit of debate on Twitter about how deliberate the handball was, with Gary Lineker leading the charge and insisting that it can't possibly have been deliberate, and anyone who's ever played the game would know that it wasn't deliberate. But if you if you look at it, you know, it's not like it wasn't sort of Terry Henry versus Ireland deliberate in that he sort of swats it up. But there's, you know, the, he couldn't have scored that goal had he not touched the ball with his arm in the yeah, way that he did. Yeah, he's essentially juggling, juggling the ball as he makes his way past the defender. And one of the points of contact isn't his foot, it's actually his hand. Yeah, and it's that that elevates the ball into the air and allows him to hit the, the volley over Kayla Navas. So, yeah, I, mm. I didn't. I mean, obviously, a shame to be denied a good goal, but I didn't think there was anything controversial about it. I enjoyed your it. mini debate with Jules about that on the goal show. Oh. All right. Yeah. Well, good. Good to know, Michael. Very good. Thanks so much for popping in, Tom. A pleasure. Uh, looking forward to seeing you back on the show soon. Uh, and we'll be talking more about Champions League after this as we focus on Chelsea and Liverpool. And what happened to them? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Gary, your pilot. Uh, alongside me on the flight deck is our Paul. Uh, we've now started our ascent to our top altitude passing over Manchester and London and picking up a maximum of five wins out of five. Uh, yeah, we should be back on the ground in May, although it could be sooner. Yes, Liverpool are flying. And this weekend, Paddy Power are giving you money back as a free bet on all markets if they beat Chelsea. Paddy Power, home of the money back special. Applies to all markets. Max refund £10 as a free bet. Does not apply to shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Be gambling. talk. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Well, many other stories to discuss from midweek. What Erling Haaland's doing at Salzburg is a bit ridiculous. We'll, we'll hear more about that later on. And we'll, of course, touch on what Man City, the only Premier League side to win, uh, did and, and, and also Spurs. But what about Chelsea and Liverpool, given that those two are going to be clashing Sunday? Chelsea, first of all, beaten 1-0 at home by Valencia. How bad was this? 
I don't think Chelsea were awful. I think it was a fairly closely matched game, but it's a really bad result. I mean, to lose at home to Valencia, who I think will be one of their rivals for coming in the... Well, obviously one of their rivals for coming in the top two. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty... It's a pretty damaging defeat, I would think. Some people commented that this was as poor as Chelsea have looked under Lampard against a, a team that was presumed to be in disarray coming in and pressing the self-destruct button with the dismissal of their manager, Marcelino. And, and indeed, a 5-2 defeat certainly seemed to speak to that at the weekend against Barcelona. Here, though, they looked very composed. Yeah, and, and, and it seemed to be kind of a, another example of Chelsea's kind of slightly chaotic defending this season. Um I mean, the the goal, as Michael said, they they weren't awful generally, but the the goal came from a sort of uh, Valencia forward being left alone in the penalty area, and yeah, I mean, against Liverpool at the weekend, that that could be a great fun if Chelsea defend as chaotically as they did, and Liverpool have well, they have three forwards in there. I think part of the problem as well for Frank Lampard at the moment is he had to do some rotation in this match, but he hasn't actually got his starting eleven in the Premier League sorted. You know, they're, they're starting to gel, they're starting to come together, everyone's taking the positives. Um, but then to mix that up, you know, we saw Kurt Zuma coming in and... And I just think that there's that disjointedness to Chelsea that will take about a season to get through. I think they need they need to, I mean, Mason Mount as well, of course, being a huge miss because of that injury. That was probably the biggest thing to take away. But also the mayhem around the penalty, that epitomised it. Right. You know, it epitomised that everyone sort of is getting to know their place, but they don't really know it yet. So Rodrigo opens the scoring in a goal which, uh, Michael, you found reminiscent of... Well, a little bit. That kind of free kick into the channel, into the left-hand channel, was kind of reminiscent of uh, the assist for a famous Claudio Lopez volley mm. about, what, 20 years ago now? Mm. Was it that long? Yeah, well, it must have been about the turn of the century. Mm. But it was a completely different finish. I mean, Lopez dips it into the far corner. It's one of the best volleys you ever see, whereas this one was scuffed a bit. Personally, I wouldn't blame Chelsea too much for that goal. I just think that was a really clever set-piece routine. Right. But I think they're defending overall. I mean, they still haven't kept a clean sheet under Lampard. And... You do fear for them this weekend. I mean, they played a back three against Wolves. They played a back three uh, against Valencia. I expect they'll go back to a back four against the front three of uh, Liverpool. But even so, there's concerns there. I mean, you look at this game last season um, and Salah had a real field day against Emerson. As Piliqueta hasn't quite looked at his best this season, up against Mane, I think he's probably the most difficult winger to play against in the Premier League. Zuma has, uh, I mean, made mistakes in a few games. So... There are problems defensively. Kante might come back. You think that would be quite an important boost if he does against that Liverpool midfield. Everyone has things they like to see in football, whether it's a ball crashing in off the underside of the crossbar or, in my case, players squabbling over who takes a penalty with (laughs) the man who insists on taking it then bishing it up. So, uh, in this case, it was Ross Barkley. Now, Mm. post-game, did Lampard say, no, actually, it was... Barkley's duty to take that spot kick. He, he did, did say that he'd given him permission to take it, didn't he? Well, he said that didn't he? Didn't he, he said that Barkley is the penalty taker, but they didn't seem entirely clear about that on the field. No. Um, this is so, what I mean about this disjointedness. Yeah. You know, have they all got that message? Because it did not appear like that. And then you look at his record; he's taken hardly any penalties. So for for him to make that choice, you know, what is he showing in training that he didn't show on the night? Mm. And then if he he was due to take the penalty, how how much pressure did it? add on him having uh, was it William standing next to him giving him the death stare in the, in the build up yeah and there was also that delay you know mm. however long it takes uh, you feel that the pressure then and the this the pendulum swing goes in favour of the goalkeeper doesn't it the longer that it goes on and you were feeling that but I mean this was completely within his control he he skied it didn't he and that that 
I I don't know whether there's something that got in his head with that. William just looked really petulant about it actually afterwards he was really calm you know did you hear him in the mix zone afterwards just saying oh no there wasn't a problem but you know his facial expression didn't say that at all well that was Chelsea's chance to get back into it you mentioned the fact that Mason Mount went off uh, with the injury which given the way he's been playing given the way he links everything together is potentially a, a big loss for them if he's not fit for the weekend but even with that do you agree, Michael, that, that it was disappointing, the lack of response from Chelsea to going behind? Yeah, broadly speaking. I think they did lack someone to, to be creative between the lines. I don't really like Pedro and William floating together. They generally have been, it's been one or the other when they've played that system, particularly under Conte. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those performances that I think Chelsea fans are going to have to put up with. It's a young side, it's an inexperienced side. For a lot of them, it was their first Champions League game. And I'm, I do think you get those kind of results. So... You know, I don't think a bad prediction at this stage is for Chelsea to go very far in the Europa League because it's quite a difficult group and they've just got such form for doing well in that competition. What a Liverpool then, the visitors on Sunday. Unstoppable in the Premier League so far, looking for their 15th straight victory in the competition, but very much stopped in Naples. Carlo Ancelotti shaking Jurgen Klopp's hand at the end and saying, don't worry, when you lose in Naples, you usually go on to win the Champions League chuckle there and a reference to last season but there is a broader point here and, and how to watch football Greg uh, pointing this out Klopp's now lost on his past five visits to Italy in the Champions League pace and power and cutting edge is fabulous but there's a downside to being aggressively predictable too whenever the better team strengths can be nullified and their weaknesses exaggerated the game is level is that what happened here Michael was it Napoli's press or, or, or what do you think saw Napoli through so to be honest, I think it was a really evenly balanced game and I think Liverpool were the better side at 0-0. I think it was quite an isolated incident that caused the penalty. Very debatable penalty, to be honest, the Robertson tackle. Um, no, I thought Liverpool were slightly the better side and there were a couple of examples where Mane and Salah didn't get their interplay right on the break um, where they usually would and, and I think they would have been fine apart from that. So there seemed to be a lot of people trying to draw lessons from this and how Liverpool can be got at, but I just thought it was a slightly fortunate victory, to be honest. I wasn't that impressed by... Napoli. The the one thing I would say in terms of you know where Napoli were better was uh, I thought Ruiz in midfield was fantastic. Mm. Just such kind of elegance and class and a sense of control on the ball. And that's the one kind of play Liverpool don't have. I don't think Liverpool have a world-class midfielder. So I think in those games against real top opposition, they sometimes lack a player in that mould. But otherwise, I thought Liverpool were pretty much the better side and I wouldn't read too much into it. OK, a 2-0 victory though. The penalties, you say, slightly contentious. Although on review, I felt that there was a leg out stretch which Callahan went over. In real time, I yeah. thought it was a Stonewall penalty. Right. And once it goes to VAR, I understand why it wasn't overturned. So, yeah. Fair. Uh, previously, there'd also been a fabulous Adrian save to keep the school line uh, goalless. I mean, that was genuinely brilliant. I mean, I think one of the best saves you'll see this season. Usually, goalkeeping is about two things it's either about anticipation or reaction. I think that was both because he anticipates the fact he's got to dive before he knows where the shot's coming and then he extends his arm to beat it away. Mm. I mean, Shot stopping, I think he's, he's absolutely quality. It's the kind of other areas where Alisson's much much more difficult to replace. Laurenti then coming on, and, mm. and, well, coming on indeed before the, the penalty and, and making it 2-0 at, at, the, at the death. And certainly Napoli's best performance of the season. Koulibaly looking back to his old old levels. And I, I mean, I, I thought Napoli got at Liverpool in a way that we really haven't seen for a while. Napoli are a really tough team. And I say this every single year. And I think with Ancelotti now as well, that they look so difficult to get past. And 
you, at you, home. Yeah, I mean, at home. I mean, away their form's a little bit more um, blundering, isn't it, I suppose. But um, Llorente, interesting with him because, of course, he was a sub in last year's final uh, with Spurs, wasn't he? To then to then be playing against English opposition. I, I felt for, from a Liverpool point of view, I, I didn't think it was a bad performance, but I thought it was unusual that Van Dijk was off his form and off his game. We haven't seen a performance from him like that in a Liverpool shirt yet. Um, it was his error that led to the to the goal, the second goal. And I didn't think that he marshaled quite as well as I'm used to seeing him. But everyone has an off day. And I think if anyone's due to have a, a little lull, maybe it is Van Dijk because he's been at the top of his game for so long. And probably uh, just to add insult to injury for Liverpool, you know, the fact that Simon Mignolet kept a clean sheet. I mean, when did he ever keep a clean sheet for Liverpool? Not very often. Um, in his performance, Club yeah, Rouge, Club yeah. Rouge against Galatasaray. Yeah. Um, but, so that, but the Van Dijk so, thing, a, peop- a few people were having a go at him for this and saying it's his first mistake in that, but... It's in stoppage time where you're 1-0 down. So you kind of take a little bit of a risk to try and get out of a situation. You know you might concede possession. I'm not sure you would have done that at 0-0 at 60 or 70 minutes in. Fair. Sunday then, Liverpool will be making the trip to another tough ground, Stamford Bridge. It's already the second clash of the season. We mentioned previously how often these two teams come together 55 times in the last 16 years, which is a lot, objectively. Uh, they, of course, uh, took each other on in, in Istanbul back in August in the European Super Cup 2-2 that night with uh, Tammy Abraham missing the penalty in the shootout subsequently, although he's been in pretty deadly form since. He's scored two goals in each of his last three games. Is that right? The last player to score two goals in four consecutive games was Luis Suarez when he was on that mad run in about October 2013 right. where he scored four against Norwich and then obviously got a double in the next few games so wow. that that's the kind of level that he's on in terms of goal scoring because yeah. that's that was a mega run of form from Suarez Brilliant. Having, having been at Molyneux to witness that last performance against Wolves he he looked brilliant and and the thing is he's staying behind he's, he's doing extra he's working on long range shots uh, one of the things that he was telling me about as well was he's been working on his hold up play which I thought was so much better in that game in particular so all of this extra work it pays dividends and, and he deserves it I think when a player's going going above and beyond and the way that Lampard's been talking about his work ethic, then you do reap those rewards and he's in a rich vein of form. So I, I can see him st- scoring again in this one. Mm. I think if he does score against Liverpool, then he, he, these, these, it's a very impressive run that he's been on. But he's been scoring against teams that haven't perhaps been playing quite as well. He's scored against Sheffield United. It's just promoted team. But if he scores against Liverpool, then you know I think we can be really impressed. Right. Certainly on Tuesday, he didn't, he didn't really come close to finding the net against Valencia did he no but I, th- I think he was play he was played in a slightly different way and, and I, I thought that Valencia did a really good job of keeping him out the game I thought on quite a few occasions he had two players around him um, so they were very alert I mean the fact that Tammy Abraham is pretty new to us to, to switch on to the fact that he's such this up, up and coming star but they seem to in Europe have really noticed that too and you can't you can't actually ignore his presence because he's such he's such a big guy as well so that they will have straight away thought that he was one of the the people to stop and maybe there was that little bit of of apprehension because it was his first proper outing in in europe he might have had a bit of that perhaps yeah. perhaps so do you want to make a bold shout on who's going to walk away with three points if anyone sunday at Stamford bridge liverpool liverpool oh, yeah, i think I liverpool s- will win but i think chelsea will score high scoring game liverpool win Liverpool could win pretty comfortably. Mm, there you go. Can I just make one final very quick point? Not going to stop you. The uh, Super Cup game completely changed when Firmino came on. 
you know, do you remember what a difference it was? Like Chelsea dominated the first half and I think it was a half-time substitution. So he's, you know, probably the player to watch. We shall see. Next up for us, we're going to dive back into the midweek Champions League fun. Tuesday's biggest winners in the Champions League were Red Bull Salzburg. 6-2 victors over Genk, Belgian champions. Star of the show again was Erling Haaland, who notched off his fourth hat-trick of the season, the second one in just four days. Next time out for Salzburg in the Champions League will be Liverpool when the competition returns. Uh, with all of Europe now agog, producer Ben caught up with Lee Wingate, co-host of the other Bundesliga podcast, to find out more. He's a very talented player and I think Salzburg is probably the right club for him right now because he's getting the chance to play, which is obviously very important at his age. I think only time will tell really, but... So far, he's been very impressive. You know, he's got he's got everything, really. He's six foot three. He's physically very strong. He runs the channels. He finishes well. He has a knack of being in the right place at the right time. He's good with both feet. So really, I think he does have the whole package. I think, as I say, time will tell us to, as to how he matures because, you know, there have been numerous young talents that, that haven't quite fulfilled their potential. But he's certainly ticking all the boxes so far. Lee, there's no doubt that these numbers are ridiculous, uh, but I would be remiss if I didn't say, you know, it is the Austrian League. What's the quality like out there? Well, I can understand the scepticism about the quality of the Austrian League. Salzburg's dominance is pretty much uh, unparalleled. They've won seven of the last eight leagues, six of the last eight domestic cups. And a lot of his goals already have been against teams that aren't really of the best quality. But I suppose... You can only play the the teams that are in, in front of you. And they've got some very big tests coming up over the next two weeks. Salzburg will be playing their biggest challenges domestically, Lask, both Vienna clubs. And then, of course, Liverpool in this Champions League match at Anfield in a fortnight's time. So I think that will probably be a sterner test of his mettle. But his record so far has been absolutely amazing. And I understand he's a bit of a character too, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's, uh, he's, he's caused quite a stir here in Austria a few times already this season. So last month, he scored a hat-trick in a 5-2 victory over Wolfsburger in the league and was then asked on the pitch post-match by the interviewer what he was going to do with his new match ball. And he said he was going to take it home for the night and, and make it his girlfriend, which, uh, which did, did make a few headlines here. And he's, uh, he's apparently also been so excited about the Champions League and making his debut that he's been listening to the, the Champions League theme tune on his car radio all week. Sadio Mane, of course, made a very successful transition from Red Bull Salzburg to Southampton back in the day. And although Salzburg and RB Leipzig are utterly unrelated, is it likely that he'll be heading off to the Bundesliga soon? I mean, where do you feel his game is better suited, England or Germany? Or is he going to end up in Spain at Barca or Real? Well, I think given his, his strength and his, his pace, he probably would be quite well suited to the English Premier League or the, the German Bundesliga. Obviously, there's this connection between Salzburg and Leipzig. Salzburg have sold something close to 20 players to Leipzig over the past seven or eight seasons. Um, so you could envisage it happening. But I think the agent is Mino Raula. I think it's probably easier to envisage him perhaps going to one of the, the bigger European clubs where, where Raul already has an established relationship, especially given that he's probably going to command quite a sizable fee when he does eventually move on. All right, finally, Lee, what about Salzburg themselves? I think everyone's been guilty of underestimating them when that Champions League draw was made and they were put into Liverpool's group. Um, but Liverpool and Napoli did not do well on their travels last season. Uh, so are Salzburg going to cause a couple of shocks here? Well, the, the Red Bull Arena is... is 
it's quite a fortress, really. They've got a new manager in Jesse Marsh, who's the first American to coach in the in the Champions League, and he's pretty much continued where his predecessor Marco Rosa um, left off. Because Red Bull Salzburg are now 69 home games unbeaten in all competitions and 19 in Europe as well, which is quite some run. So combined with with Napoli and Liverpool's troubles on the road, they'd be happy with a third place finish and perhaps then the chance to put a long run together in the Europa League. But if that home form does carry over against some of the bigger teams, I think they will fancy their chances of perhaps pipping one of them to, to second place in the group. Fascinating. Lee Wingate there in Vienna, lucky chap. If you want to hear more from Lee about Salzburg and Austrian football, uh, listen in to the other Bundesliga podcast and follow them at other Bundesliga. It is a remarkable story, isn't it? The apple with Haaland, is it fair to say, falling a fair distance from the tree when you consider his father's career? Well, distance from the tree, maybe ability and kind of positional in terms of, as we uh, just heard there's a, a quite feisty character that uh, Alf Ingerholland was. Uh, he, he, I remember him um, mainly playing for Forest when he had a fight with Stan Collymore on the uh, training ground. Um, Stan Collymore was very upset that people didn't celebrate goals with him and he, he took that out on uh, Haaland by giving a left hook to the chin. Crikey. Born in Leeds, of course, to Erling and uh, Leeds fans. Yeah. He said it's his dream to win the Premier League with Leeds, but other people pointing out that he's previously played under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. True, but we can claim him, can't we? We've got that English stat, eighth English-born player to score a Champions League hat-trick. Well, there you go. Lovely. Uh, anyway, uh, other delights in the Champions League midweek. Ajax, despite so many big-name departures, looking impressive in their 3-0 win over Lille. Less impressive were Inter. Their bold new direction under Antonio Conte, uh, kicking off with an absolutely abject performance at home to Slavia Prague. Remember, they're in Borussia Dortmund and Barcelona's group, so it was seen as absolutely essential that they win both games against their Czech opponents. Uh, but instead, they were lucky to come away with a point. Late sensi free kick, uh, put away finally on the rebound by uh, Nicola Borella, and uh, all sorts of uh, inquisitions going on in the Italian press after that one. Barcelona and Dortmund, meanwhile, shared a nil-nil draw in Dortmund. Dortmund were all over Barcelona. I don't know how much you saw of this game, but they, their XG, for what it's worth, was nearly three. Uh, they had a penalty saved by Ter Stegen from Marco Royce. And, uh, I'm loving the, the spat between the German goalkeepers, by the way, with Manuel Neuer. Mm. Wow. He really backs himself to Stegen, doesn't he? Um, and to be able to, to really pit wits against Neuer, I think, is quite brave. So... Take us through he, this war so of words. He wants to be, or feels to Sagan, that he should be considered for number one for Germany, for the national team. And Neuer's basically said, keep focusing on what you're doing right. before you start trying to come and take my place in the national team. Yeah, I think Ter Stegen was unhappy that he wasn't used for the second of Germany's Euro qualifiers in the last last break. And this, is, I think there's a strong argument that he's in better form and has been for a while than, than Neuer. I completely agree over the last three or four years. I mean, Neuer at his peak was the best goalkeeper in the world, but he's been very poor and Ter Stegen is excellent. But mm. it's nice to see the return of a German goalkeeper spat after all those great Jens Lehmann against uh, Oliver Kahn days. I was quite disappointed when they made up after the 2006 World Cup, those two. Did Just they, such a good, feisty relationship. Yep. Clubs are off then among German goalkeepers. Exciting times at the Wanda Metropolitano. Uh, who saw this game? Uh, Atletico Madrid going two goals behind 
to Juventus, but then pegging it back at the death. Kieran Trippier with a big part to play in that. I thought that he was outstanding. I watched the bits on, on the Gold Show. He was so much more advanced than I'd, I'd ever seen him really play at Spurs. I mean, we were used to see him providing crosses and, and getting assists for Spurs, but I mean, he was even higher up the pitch for Atletico. Um, and I thought that he really got the better of Alexandro. I thought he, he very rarely troubled him at all. Um, and he saw so much of the ball. I thought, you know, I wasn't used to seeing Trippier on the ball so much. And I, and I don't know why it took me by surprise because I haven't really paid too much attention. I, I've been reading the articles that he's been playing well over there and I've seen that he's got assists. And But this was the first time that I really got to see how well he's slotted in. Mm. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of Jan Black as well as a goalkeeper. I mean, he wasn't troubled too much in this match, I have to say. So there wasn't too much to test apart, him. But. Apart from the goals, and what a goal from Juan Cuadrado. Oh, well, there's nothing you can do about that. Set up by a brilliant pass from Gonzalo Higuain, mm. who is not someone associated with kind of pinpoint passes from across no. the across It stage. was appropriately languid, wasn't it, from the Argentine? He mm. just kind of knocked it across the field, and it somehow threaded through a whole bunch of Atletico defenders. Not often that Atletico concede any goals, let alone two at home. So many senses Juve can be happy with that point away. It was a 2-2 draw for Spurs at Olympiacos. That's a game we'll come on to shortly. But next up, let's talk about Man City, who went to Shakhtar and came away with a 3-0 win. Sterling again. David Silva with the chance! It's a second for City. Jesus will claim it crossed the line before it was tapped home for sure. De Bruyne for Manchester City. Jesus scores a four for Manchester City. Silver across, scored by Sterling. De Bruyne, Gomez saves, but Sterling reacts again. City have six. Six goals, six unanswered goals. That's what happened last time Man City faced Watford. It was the FA Cup final back on the 18th of May. And Saturday afternoon, they're going to be meeting again at the Etihad. Man City, who've been uh, shedding defenders day by day. John Stone's the latest to go out and uh, should be absent for about five weeks, we hear. Man City also back from a long trip to Ukraine, where they took on Shakhtar Donetsk uh, midweek and responded pretty well to the weekend's shock defeat at Norwich with a very composed 3-0 win. So Fernandinho slotting in at the back... To what extent did we see that 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 solution even tested by the the Ukraine opposition? Not hugely. I mean, I think Fernandinho could be a kind of maybe not a, too much to say it'd be better option than John Stones, but Stones hasn't been playing well for for a little while. So um, I don't think anyone is, other than the fact that they don't have any other specialist central defenders. No one's. I don't think anyone's really crying themselves to sleep that John Stones isn't available. And um, uh, you know, Fernandinho did play. Quite well, wasn't tested hugely, but uh, I think he, he he could he will slot very nicely in there. And it wasn't a surprise to Pep because then it was revealed that Fernandinho has been playing as a centre back since the start of season in training. So mm. behind the scenes, he's been working at it since the season began. So in the back of his mind, maybe Pep is a little bit of a mystic Meg, knew that he was going to be without a few defenders. Possibly so. Why, why would you play him there in training already? Or well, why wouldn't you then use him perhaps at Norwich? What went wrong for them at Carrowood, did you say, Michael? Well, Fernandinho played a fair bit at centre-back last year, albeit in a fluid system. He was kind of stepping between midfield and defence. I think he's probably Man City's best, uh, sorry, second-best centre-back after Laporte 
I mean, he's just a... John Stones has not played well for the past couple of years. Otamendi makes too many mistakes. I think Fernandinho is just a very good player. Um, the Norwich game, ugh, combination of errors. I think silly defensive play, getting caught out, pressing high up the pitch and being counter-attacked on. Kind of set-piece goals. I mean, it was it was kind of the usual recipe of when Guardiola's teams lose, which doesn't happen very often. But when they do, it's usually a combination of counter-attacks and set-pieces. Right. I think this game is quite interesting because if Watford had Dini, you kind of think, well, OK without their kind of traditional centre-backs, they can get bullied a bit. But I think, you know, with someone like Fernandinho, who's really intelligent, good at positioning himself, Daly Feo and Gray, I can't think you have that many problems with them. Or to put it another way, I think you prefer playing against them to playing against Dini. Right. Mm. They have a terrific record since Pep took over at Man City against the Hornets, uh, scoring them 27 goals to three. So even with the absences at, at the back, and even with that enormous trip too, Kharkiv to take on Shakhtar and, and, and back again. Massive favourites for this game, would you say? I know you spent time with the Kiki Sanchez Flores this mm. week, Lindsay, is that right? Yeah, well, I, I went to open training for Watford this week um, and and he does his own training routine, by the way, before all the players come out. He's um, in good shape, Kiki. What, with kind of hair dryer aftershave? No, no, no. <laughs> no, actual, like, drills. Oh, yeah? Uh, he, was, he was being drilled like the players do. I was, I was observing and thinking, wow. Um... I don't think that that Watford are expecting to get anything from this. I mean, just reading between the lines, obviously they have that new manager bounce, but for Pep, he's I mean he's got an abundance of riches that could really trouble Watford's defence. I, I have been impressed with Darrell Yammat since he came back into the starting eleven for Watford. I think he's been very good, but I, I, there's too much talent in in the attack for Manchester City. They'll score against Watford, and I don't think Watford have got those goal, regular goal scorers. A little bit like what Michael said, without Dini, I don't really see where the goals are going to come from. And I, I I don't know whether he will consider doing this pep, but Gundogan I thought was excellent against Shakhtar. Would mm. would he potentially give him more time off the back of such a great performance, or is he going to rest him because of the the Ukraine? trip but even if he does I mean you look you've got Sterling coming back in De Bruyne Mares. I mean any of these can can score against Watford I think Fair do, and usually do yeah okay uh, Spurs mentioned the fact that uh, they were away in Perez taking on Olympiacos uh, with a eerily familiar outcome here 2-0 up they went mittly against the runner play but ended up with a 2-2 draw Pochettino unhappy uh in the first half, I wasn't happy with the performance. From the beginning, we had a plan, and we didn't respect the plan. That's what disappointed me the most. I told them at a half time, and it, it didn't help very much because they conceded another goal. And hey, presto, two points dropped. Or is it a point one away, Nick? When you look at Olympiacos and all the teams who've gone there and lost, you can't see it as anything other than two points dropped. I don't think. Um, you know, they were they were two and up, even if they, even though they weren't playing particularly well. Um, it's it's quite interesting that. Pochettino said, you know, they didn't respect the plan afterwards. Mm. It's kind of, it's the kind of thing, maybe it's too early to draw conclusions like this, but it is the kind of thing that a um, a team who have been with a manager for too long, that happens with them, they just kind of stop listening. Jurgen Klopp always kind of says this about the, 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 about the latter days of Dortmund, that these players just stop listening to him. The, and a lot of those players... The team effectively leaving the seat up or not putting the top on the toothpaste. We're at that point. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Why do they stop listening, though? I mean, the answer to that question might be because of all the speculation to do with Pochettino's job, the fact that many clubs have circled and been linked with him moving away. And does that intrinsically within a team mean that eventually they start thinking, well, he's not going to be here that much longer? And, and I wonder if that's something that's starting to set in in the mindset, because I think this is the first time 
we've ever heard Poch even indicate that his instructions haven't been listened to. That's hugely concerning. If I was a Spurs fan, I'd be worried about that because I think that they took everything he said verbatim before that. I mean, they would never have drifted off anything that he'd have he'd have given them instruction-wise. Um, and then he baffled me himself when he bought Mora off. You know, Lucas Mora was, I think, in that match, the, the biggest attacking threat. Mm. I don't understand this obsession with Lamella. Um, because he seems to keep trusting in him. And I know that he's he's got a few assists and goals more potentially in the last 12 months, but I still don't think he is the same sort of player as what, what Mora is. Um, and that really baffled me. Uh, but the other takeaway that I would I would have said from that match was from an Olympiacos point of view, I thought Valbuena was absolutely superb. I thought Valbuena was, was a player that that looked inspired and, and didn't want to ever give up. He had the bit between his teeth and right. I, I really like watching him. I was at the game against Crystal Palace and it's as good as Spurs have played for a long time. First half, they're 4-0 up at half time. They were absolutely brilliant. I thought the best three players for them were Aurier at right back, Sissoko, who ran the game in central midfield, and Son, who was brilliant. And they all got taken out the side. Now, I know he has to rotate a little bit, but I think he made five changes for a trip that is difficult. It's difficult mm. to go to Olympiacos. And he, he lost the three players who just played so well at the weekend. I thought it was a really poor selection from him. Possibly holding them back for this weekend's crunch game, which is away at Leicester. A Leicester side who disappointed last weekend at Old Trafford. Is the focus on Premier League, do you think, then, for Poch? Not really. I just think maybe underestimated the, the game or over-rotated. But I'm sure those players will come back in. Certainly Son was really good against Leicester home and away last season. I think if you're Spurs, you'd be, it's the obvious thing to say. But Vardy's runs into the channels. Spurs play a high defensive line. Suits Vardy's got a great record against the top six sides. Mm. Thought Vertonghen looked quite sluggish, actually, against Olympiacos, who seemed to get a lot of joy from breaking into that channel between... Davis and Vertonghen so I wouldn't rule out Leicester getting a, a result here. All right, four in four for Jamie Vardy against Spurs who would you rather have as a number 10 Ericsson or Madison Madison would you Madison at the moment yeah really? yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you were Ericsson in the kind of longer term but he was he was one of Tottenham's worst players last night and he's he's not looked quite on his game so far this season I think Eriksen's still a really good player. There's been two games this season where Spurs have massively struggled until he's come onto the pitch and he's completely changed the game. I agree he was really poor in midweek. Um, Madison's a good player. I think his decision-making is really questionable, actually. I think technically he's he's brilliant. I mean, he's quite reminiscent of David Beckham, I think, in his set-piece delivery. Whips the ball into the box as well as anyone in the league, but there's so many times where he takes shots on when he could square and I think Albrighton gets quite frustrated with his lack of passes out to the right. I like Madison, but I think he's still got a way to go before you consider him up there with Ericsson, who's been leading assist leaders for, what, five, six years now? Really? Interesting. OK, uh, we'll talk about another London Midlands clash in a second or two. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Another London Midlands clash. It can only be, Nick, Arsenal... Aston Villa, the big one, Sunday at 4.30. Pride of place in the weekend schedule. A Villa team coming off that 0-0 draw with West Ham. Valuable point there Monday night. Ooh, again, we saw a little bit of beef. We were talking about when players fall out. Tyrone Mings and El Ghazi. Did you see this on, on Monday? No, I was beating Nick at a quiz. Oh, that's, that's a course. <laughs> that was I your mean, own little clash. It's, this, is, this is how Michael plays the alpha male 
Right. With, with his, uh, <laughs> did he lean with his in? Quiz. Pub quizzes. Quiz proper alpha male. And actually, that. he did. You, you did. You did tell me to very brusquely tell me to get out of the way, and we were in the toilets as well. Maybe the, this is this is how you this is how you try to intimidate people. Yeah, that's true. That was jokey. Wow. I should insist. Well, there was an edge to it. Mm. Keeping you number two because I think you came uh, runners up, didn't you? We did. Yes, a respectable second place, winning. As it turned out, a subscription to the Athletic. Yes. Oh, the irony. Yeah, I mean, actually, if anyone, uh, not not that we're throwing this away as we want it, but everyone on the team, I believe, already had a subscription to the Athletic. So, right. Know, if anyone wants them, get in touch. Okay, that's very kind of you. You know what you have yeah. to say about any two teammates squabbling? You want that passion? You want that passion? They yeah. just really want to win. Yeah. Happens all the time on the training ground. Yeah, yeah. And they're friends yeah. again now. They're friends again. They're shaking yeah. hands. It's all fine. It's Brilliant. like they're rugby players. Well, it's a fired up <laughs> Villa team. That's going to be visiting the Emirates then Sunday afternoon. Um, <clears throat> are we five games in? Can we draw any conclusions yet about about Villa? All the money they spent. Uh, do they look? Do they look like they're going to make a real go of it this year? Yeah, I think so. I think they're a decent team, and a lot of people, you know, had had reservations about how much money they spent. But mm. when you look at the way they got up last season. They kind of cobbled it together in the second half, didn't they? It wasn't like they were breaking up a really cohesive team. I think they just needed to improve from from front to back, really. Well, they had um, so many of their well, a few of the key players weren't there aren't there anymore. So Tammy Abraham scored a lot of goals last season. They needed yeah. to replace him, and obviously, you know, they spent a lot of money and bought a lot of players in. But one of one of them was Mings, who was there for the second half of last season. So, I mean, yeah. I, I've got reservations about how many chances they're going to create. I don't really like any of their wide players. I think Trezeguet really. Flits in and out of matches, misses a lot of chances. El Ghazi's okay. Mm. Jota may be slightly slow for this level. The the area where they are really good is midfield. McGinn and Grealish, I think, are both fantastic players. And Douglas Luiz looks pretty solid in the holding role. Don't think he played in Monday, but I think he'll come back into the side. And what they've got from that zone is so much potential for long shots. I mean, you look at how many shots Arsenal concede. You know, you, you went through the stats on Monday. Mm. Arsenal aren't conceding that many clear-cut goal-scoring opportunities compared to that number, but they concede a lot of just general shots from outside the box. So you think that the uh, ever-reliable Granite Xhaka will have uh, a big job on his hands this weekend. Well, it's going to be interesting, particularly against a player like Jack Grealish, who has, stats revealed, been fouled since the start of last season 179 times, which is... <laughs> 49 times more than any other player in the top four tiers. Wow. I was at the Unai Emery press conference last week ah. where he revealed that this week he'll tell us who his five captains are, of course, one of which will be Xhaka. That's what? pretty... Why, why does he need five captains? I have no Te- idea. Seems like too many captains. I, I think it actually could be the thing that sinks him. Do you reckon? I, I genuinely believe that. Why do you need five captains? Well, in terms of and what he's it, already under scrutiny. In terms of what it does to the team? Or yeah. in terms of what it does to his kind of public persona? Well, well, Because everyone's got, whether it's the tube ticket or the envelope, so there's always something that, that marks <laughs> the point when, when people start to think, actually, you're Brollies, having a laugh. Yeah, but to be fair, th- this isn't uncommon in Spain. You know, you just have a... It's just an order of preference for who's captain based upon who's playing and who's not. Right. I think it's, like slightly, it's slightly been blown out of yeah, proportion. But, no, but in a five. team that's been screaming out for a leader for however many seasons, they've been screaming out for for that Tony Adams character that that I, I just think it isn't the solution that they need at the moment to have five. But, it, but it's, it's just an order of preference. It's not five captains who are equal. It's five will be in, in like an it. order. Like yeah, but you might, as well, you might as well just say, let's have one and advice and... 
and then well, that's if, what if do- it comes that's what to he's it. doing, but sometimes they won't be playing. So yeah, but you don't need one. to declare that, do you? That these are the five people. Ah, Barcelona have had it for the last few years. It didn't seem to cause them any problems. I'd like it to be five, and then to name the five, throw them out on the pitch, and then they is decide it, who. The, what's the penalty taker? The, 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 the alternative to this is right. The captain isn't playing, so the yeah. vice captain wears the captain's armband yeah. and then goes off, and then he doesn't know who to give the armband to, and people are going, "Oh, can I have it? Can I have it?" And then people go, "Oh, Arsenal! This is a problem with Arsenal. They lack leaders. They don't know what the hierarchy is." Right. Come but, on. But Emery right. would know. He'd right, my, know who's there. My question well, is, yeah, so he's, he's telling the players. Imagine if you're if you're not one of the five. How are you going to feel now if you remember that? Exactly. That's six five starting names players that all think, well, we're not we're leader not material. Enough. It's like a journalist not being approached by the athletic this <laughs> year. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly the what it's like. Yeah. Is this, can I just ask, you know, beyond the five captains or not, Is it, are we heading into kind of defining times for Unai Emery, who's not been able to resolve the, the long, long-held long problems at, at the Emirates? The game against Watford was really damning for him. I mean, Arsenal were 2-0 up at half-time coasting. It was a time to just almost... For, for an Arsenal side, you expect them to be able to just keep possession, see the game out, broadly play your default style. Emery's so reactive, and it's two games in a row that they've had that problem at Watford there. They won last year, and he was changing systems and trying to react after Watford had gone down to 10 men. I thought it was, you know, showed really how passive they were. Um, yeah, I, I think he's... I think he's in trouble. I'd be surprised if he goes before the end of the season. Mm. But I think it's too early to be talking Mourinho, isn't it? Like that, that was Mourinho. a, well, that was a rumour this they week. Yeah. They're not going to bring in Mourinho. That was a rumour this but, week. But his, his contract expires at the end of the season. It's an, Does op- it? it's an option for a third season. It's not right. for your contract. It's an option. So you have to think they'd be sniffing around looking for replacements. Well, it is, it is Villa this Sunday then. Home to Forest in the league midweek and then away at Man United so yeah delicate times all right uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll wrap up the rest of the Premier League weekend Glenn Campbell, and that was number one, listener, in September 1975, which is when uh, Norwich and Burnley last rode out like a rider in a star-spangled rodeo at Turf Moor uh, for a 4-4 draw. What an exciting game that was. That was their last season together in the top flight before this one. They did, of course, meet later on in that campaign at Carrow Road, and it was 3-1 to Norwich, by which time, do you know what was number one, Lindsay? Bohemian Rhapsody. That's right, January 1976 it was. But had they met the following week, Nick, what would have been number one? Just racking my brain here. I think it was, was it Mamma Mia by but, ABBA? But it certainly was. Yeah. And did people have, did chart listeners have it better in those days? I don't know, I'm not going to say. I'll leave that one up to you. Instead, let's focus on what's going to happen all these years later as the two teams. I'm, I'm a little bit stunned they've not shared a top flight season since then, but apparently so. And, yeah, as they come together this time around at Turf Moor, it w- wouldn't it be just like Burnley and Sean Dyche to go and ruin the Canaries' fun, Michael, after they uh, they did one on City? I'm not sure. Would it be? Wouldn't it be? I don't know. I, I thought Burnley were broadly impressive last weekend against uh, against Brighton in the first half in particular. I thought they pressed very well, which mm-hmm. I don't really associate with Burnley. But I think they are a bit more proactive without the ball than they're often given credit for. So, yeah, I think this could be quite... An interesting game. I mean, it's I, there's a decent chance it'll be last on match of the day, I would think. Do you think? If Looking at the fixtures, it 
doesn't jump out at you as an excitement. Burnley Norwich, really. Norwich, the team who stunned us all actually, last week. Actually, to be fair, there's a Friday night game which will almost by definition be last on match of the day, so I've embarrassed myself there. <laughs> right, that, that, that Friday night game is Southampton against Bournemouth. I personally think that Burnley against the Norwich team who were freewheeling and fun going forward, but uh, all sorts of absences at the back. I'm going to pick up the bone that you're trying to throw out because right. you were trying to say, you know, off the back of Norwich beating Manchester City, yeah. are they going to implode now with Burnley? I think, I uh, think Burnley are good enough to I stop them. I think Burnley are good enough to stop them. Right. And I, especially at Turf Moor and anyone thinking that Norwich are going to have all this huge confidence, which of course will be there from from that victory, but I, I think it might be quickly mellowed down. But like Burnley will be favourites for this game. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Lots of injuries. Norwich still have lots of injuries which has made their result against City even more extraordinary. Isn't it? Yeah, doesn't it? But does lightning strike twice? Well, I don't know. Traditionally it doesn't, of course. Friday night, clear hearts, full eyes or something like that. St Mary's as Saints take on Bournemouth. I sat down with Angus Gunn this week for an interview and he is in such good form. I mean, he's he made seven stops against Manchester United. I think he made six saves against Sheffield United. Mm. So um, if anyone plays Fantasy Premier League, which you have another podcast for, he's a cheap option. To get right. In. Uniquely, he's a gun that stops shots. Mm. Remarkable. Uh, really exciting 3-3 draw between these two teams at the end of last season. Callum Wilson with two goals in that. And he's another player who's very much in form. I don't know what's going to happen in this game. But I suspect it might be exciting. I, I think there'll be goals. And I think the story here is that mm. Bournemouth have been the team that when they came into the Premier League said that they held a light up to Southampton and wanted to replicate them because at the time Southampton were quite an established Premier League team. Southampton then really plummeted, had a really uh, you know, dangerous season where they were flirting with relegation, weren't they, mm. last last campaign? Sending it texts, taking it out yes. to dinner. Whilst in the last couple of seasons, Eddie Howe has seen Bournemouth, it, they have those seasons, don't they, where they score for fun for a little bit, go missing, come back, but are always okay. And I think Southampton, that rivalry now, not only on the South Coast, but I think it is who will finish higher in the table. And right. Southampton fancy themselves again. Okay. Moving on, Newcastle are taking on Brighton in a clash of fresh-faced young tacticians breathing new life into Moribund's sides there. Steve Bruce and Graham Potter. Michael, have you got any notes on this game? No. Right. Well, we'll see how it turns out and talk about it on Monday then. It's going to be an interesting one, I think. As will, no doubt, Everton-Sheffield United. No Billy Sharp for the Blades after his red card last time out. Uh, we were a bit critical about Marco Silva on Monday after that 3-1 at Bournemouth, but uh, tend to do well at home, the Toffees. There's also a, a whopping game early Sunday between West Ham and Man United, Nick. You excited about this? 3-1 win to West Ham last season, do you remember? Yes, I'm just so sorry. I was just trying to work out whether I was excited about it. Yes, I suppose <laughs> I am. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, the Hammers have only lost one of their last nine in the Premier League. And do you, you know, feel the excitement building now? I, do, I really do, yeah. You, you, you've hyped it up for me. United coming off that victory over Leicester, only their second clean sheet in the last 15. I, right. I quite fancy West Ham here. Actually. Do you? Away at yeah. Old Trafford? Yeah. I, I think oh, no, it's at home, sorry. Uh, do you? Yeah, at, uh, at the Olympic Stadium. I think they've got a chance. Uh, I, I haven't been impressed with the way United centre-back combination have defended high balls. They, they defended really badly for um, that Jordan AU one for Crystal Palace. And there was a really weird incident last week for James Madison chance where there was just a long ball from Schmeichel. Maguire missed the first header. Lindelof let the ball bounce over him for a chance. And, you know, Sebastian Allaire is just so good in the air. I think he 
you know, look at his stats in the Bundesliga. He just won more headers than anyone else in the league. Mm. Been really impressed by, I've said this already on this podcast, but I've been really impressed by his aerial play, his hold-up play. So I think he can cause problems. And with, with Anderson and uh, Yarmolenko causing the fullbacks problems, maybe. One thing to say is West Ham are quite leaky. I think expected goals against the top of the league, or bottom of the league, aren't they, really? A lot of firepower going forward, although, of course, Villa held them goalless back on Monday. Lindsay Dean T has a question for you and it's can you ask Lindsay if she is now worried about Wolves <laughs> and their two <laughs> games a week schedule do they have the squad to battle oh. on two fronts? How worried are you for Wolves this season and indeed this weekend? I'm starting to get a little concern I have to say. I Neves came out this week. He was put forward uh, at the press conference and via a Portuguese translator said it's absolutely nothing to do with the Europa League, the travel. Right. Um, so if I take his word for it, then then I've got nothing to worry about. But I I think that there are there are problems slotting in in different areas. I I was absolutely left bemused as to why Ryan Bennett didn't play against Chelsea and he wasn't even in the match day squad yet. He was available. He was actually watching the game down the tunnel when I went down to do the the post match interviews, um, because I. I didn't understand why Max Kilman was given a bit more of a go. I think Nuno has this juggling act of trying to bring in some new blood and the newer players through because he knows that he needs that depth in squad. But then that upsets the routine of the regulars. Um, Bolly's a huge miss. You know, the fact that he got that red card, I said it straight away. And I think that was what we really did miss against Chelsea. How worried are you then for the trip to Palace after Braga? Are you home or away to Braga on Thursday Home. Night? Home to Braga. And, and because of that, I think we'll be okay at Palace. And okay. because I know that that is the next priority over Braga. Right. Um, so I think we'll be okay. It's an interesting game because Wolves and Palace are the two sides who, you know, mid-half, bottom-half sides. But they're the two who can go to big boys and cause problems. Mm. I think when it's against smaller sides, they, they have their issues. So you look at the two games last year, both 0-0 at half-time. All three goals in those two games came late. So you kind of think something similar might happen this time around. Bit of a patient, slow-burning game. Mm. On around about 10 to midnight, perhaps maybe 10 past midnight <laughs> Saturday. Right. Uh, that's what's coming up in the Premier League this weekend. Let's now get some odds with producer Ben. Thank you very much, Jimbo. It's time to say moshi moshi to Lee Price from Paddy Power, who's out in Japan as part of the Rugby World Cup. But Lee, we're going to talk about football now. And we're going to start, please, with Chelsea versus Liverpool, the big game this weekend on Sunday. Give us some of the markets here, please. Now, this is what I call a Super Sunday. And not to go all Brexit on you, Ben, but I'm sure both teams will be glad to be breaking away from Europe after their respective defeats in midweek. Uh, the visitors are your odds on favourites here, but only just Liverpool 10 to 11 to win this one. Chelsea are 13-5 to with Frank Lampard still looking for his first home win in charge, as we heard earlier in the show, while the draw was the same price. A penalty to be awarded in this game, by the way, after both teams had spot-keeped John on Tuesday night, is 7-5. to 13-2 penalties missed. Alright, Man City are looking to get back on track after their defeat to Norwich last weekend, and Watford are visiting the Etihad. Can the Hornets emerge with at least a point? Well, I'm sure you could guess the price here, Ben. Or perhaps not. Watford brilliantly against Arsenal, of course, on the weekend. Man City unconvincing domestically in the last couple of fixtures. And yet, Pep Guardiola's men 1-12 to to win this match. So you have to bet £12 to return £1. Craziness. The draw is 10-1. to A Watford win, 20-1. to Really? Norwich were the team who dealt out all the hurt to City last weekend and they're at Burnley. So will Sean Dyche and co be pooping the pookie party? I mean, I'd love to go to a pookie party, but yeah, we do fancy Burnley to ruin it. Uh, it's 10 to 11, odds on, that Burnley beat Norwich at home. 
with the visitors 13 to 5, the same price as the draw. Here's the bet I like the look of though. Puhi to score anytime, 6 to 4. And finally, Lee, give us some numbers, please, for Crystal Palace versus Wolves. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised Lindsay hasn't gone into hiding this season. Uh, and that's reflected in the odds. I do accuse our traders of sitting on the fence sometimes, but this time I think I'm justified. We really are on this one. Palace are 7 to 4. Wolves are 17 to 10. That's all a load of number wang. But what it means is that we can barely split the two teams with the visitors, the very, very, very marginal favourites. And the draw is only a slightly longer price at 2 to 1. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Chris Powell is our special guest on the latest edition of the Totally Football League show this week. He's now part, of course, of Gareth Southgate's backroom team. And here's a little taster of him telling us about his new gig. Well, first off, it's been an absolutely brilliant experience so far. It's just camp to camp. It's until the end of the Euros 2020. You know, some people are saying to me, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm not just going to walk in and take over <laughs> from Gareth and say, right, you should be doing this and that. It's more a case of seeing what they do, where I can help. Is it going to be individual? Um, you know, I've, I've spoken to some of the fullbacks, obviously quite naturally, being a, an ex-fullback myself, but just being involved with the first team or the seniors, I should say, not the first team, was just a, a, a great moment for me. Chris Powell there on the Totally Football League show. That's out now. The Totally Scottish Football Show will be out on Friday and they'll be paying tribute to Fernando Rickson, who died, of course, this week, sadly, after battling motor neurone disease for years. Our very best wishes to his family. Lindsay, what's coming up in the offside rule this week? I'm referring, of course, to the podcast you're going to be recording as soon as we wrap this up. Yeah, well... We, we, of course, talk the serious stuff in football, but I always tend to, when you ask me this, tell yeah. you what our like, little fun topic is. What's the fun topic? The fun topic is footballers in reality TV shows. Brilliant. Because uh, it's in light of Alex Scott and David James starting in Strictly, come oh, dancing, yes. Mm. Um, and there are so many footballers over the years that have been in reality TV programmes, so we're going to talk about our favourites. Brilliant. Uh, there's no uh, Women's Super League this weekend. That, but there is League Cup action. Okay, Continental brilliant. Cup action. You did a. You were in a late on Monday, weren't you, to cover Arsenal's one 0 win against Man United? Yes, and that came very late, Danielle Van der Donk. Um, and that is the stuff of champions to be, isn't it? That they don't play brilliantly, but they still manage right. to get a win, and that was case in point there. Quick question about the attendances, which were way down from the first week. Man United's clash with Arsenal was the drew the biggest crowd, but that was only two and a half thousand people. Were there not the same promotions as we saw in the opening weekend? Or no, there weren't, and this was always the worry. And I think it's as well because people do not know exactly when their own team is playing and it has to be publicised correctly um, and we saw it brilliantly for that opening weekend it also happened to be an international break so right. there was no men's football we've also since seen the FA announce that there's going to be this women's football weekend in November mm. and from that point of view everybody will know that those are going on again they're, they're tying it in with the international break right. they've got the, the huge games at, at big stadiums like the London Stadium are going to be hosting one for West Ham soon um, but it's those games in between uh, that you that you do get worried about because how do all of the fans know when they're happening when there isn't a set schedule in the weekend there isn't a set time it always used to be 2pm Sunday kickoff and that isn't always the case now I see all right. Well, League Cup action then uh, for uh, the women's football this weekend. In Europe, meanwhile, some very big games. 
Top of the table clash in Spain, where surprise leader Sevilla will be hosting third place Real Madrid. We heard about their current problems earlier on. Potentially Julen Lopetegui's revenge here, former Real Madrid manager, of course, now leading the Liga with Sevilla. In France, big game there Sunday night. Paris Saint-Germain, fresh from their victory over Real Madrid, are away at Lyon. And Neymar is not suspended anymore. Uh, and in City A Sunday night, Milan Derby. Don't know how good this one's going to be. I mean, it's a huge game, and I'd, I'd certainly watch the bit up to kick off with all the uh, magnificent choreography. But uh, Milan are kind of scraping out wins and, and not really looking very good under Gianpaolo. I don't know if you saw of yeah, against Verona. It's just one 0 every week. Isn't yeah, it? And, and Inter who had that great start, but then since then have just been looking a bit, a little <laughs> bit lost. Uh, some people asking how disappointing were Atlanta midweek in the Champions League. The answer very huge interest to see how they were going to get on, particularly after the way they bossed their champ their Europa League group a couple of seasons back. Do you remember when they went to Goodison one five one all yeah. that? Didn't lose a game away from home that season, but on Wednesday they went to Dinamo Dinamo Zagreb and got absolutely taken apart four nil. They're going to be playing Fiorentina this weekend anyway. So uh, we're talking about everything in Europe and all those games from around the continent in Tuesday's European edition of the Totally Football Show. And a quick reminder as well that we'll be talking about happier tales from Syria in Golazzo on, uh, well, mid-October when that returns. A whole bunch of episodes are going to drop mid-October. Talking about Gianfranco Zola, Inter's triple season under Mourinho, all that kind of thing. So that's something to look forward to. For now, let's finish off, Nick, with some more of those exciting questions from your quiz last Monday. So this is from the category General Knowledge Brackets Harder, close brackets. Oh, yeah. What have we got here? What links Everton in 1932, St Etienne in 1964, Nottingham Forest in 1978, and Kaiserslautern in 1998? Any ideas? Cox, did you get this? Yeah, I knew the last two. I didn't know the first two. Listener? What did Clough famously do with Forrest? Well, he European won Cup. without being in the top division. Ah. Oh. And so was that all of them? Yeah. Well, they won the league first season after promotion. Ah, brilliant. Oh. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah, nice. In which city did North Korea surprisingly beat Italy at the 1966 World Cup? That was... Oh, hang on. It's, it's up north. Is it Coventry? No. Sheffield? Middlesbrough. No. Middlesbrough. Yeah. There you go. Uh, Coventry you not really up north, to be fair. <laughs> Uh, Middle. No. Last one then, Nick. After Manchester United, where he Pat made Duick, by the way, the dentist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after Manchester United, where he made over 100 appearances, which team did Eric Cantona play the most games for? Boy, it's silent here, listener. <laughs> what have you got? Any ideas? Uh, it'll be in France. It was in France. Yeah. I'm, no, I feel like I'm going to sound stupid. Is it Marseille? It's not. Uh, that's that's the answer I I gave, but it, okay. it but it was wrong. Cox, did you get this? Yeah, I wasn't sure, but. I think he started out at Ozair, didn't he? It was Ozair. Under Giroud. Oh. Yeah. It was Ozair. Ozair. It, it was a really good quiz. It was Genuinely, a Genuinely, thank you to the TIFO We're lads. working out why you won it, Michael. Mm. Yeah. Brilliant. Michael, you'll be back this next Monday in the Soli Football Show alongside Sasha Gurionov. Yeah. Lovely to see him again. Oh, also Benji Lanyado's in. Benji, you recall, of Dulwich Hamlet's fame oh. and also the Stop Hammer Time podcast. Very good. Uh, Lindsay, you've got a busy weekend, I imagine. I have because I've got that South Coast derby, which right. is on Friday night. Brilliant. And then I'm on championship duty for BBC Final Score. So I'm doing Millwall against QPR. Living the dream. Nick, you're going to be busy running the ship at the totallyfootballshow.com, eh? Absolutely. 24-7. Nice one. 
Listener, whatever you get up to over this exciting-looking weekend, I do hope you enjoy it. And that you find time for us next Monday when we return with the Totally Football Show. For now, from all of us here, it's adieu. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. <laughs>